Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me on the Above180.com podcast is Jason Belmonte. Jason has 14 PBA titles, including eight majors. Jason is also a four-time Chris Schenkel Player of the Year and the 2008-2009 PBA Rookie of the Year. Jason, Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining me again. Mate, no worries at all. Thanks for having me. Of course, Jason. It's been quite a while, so I thought we'd catch up with things here and see how things are going with you. So let's, I guess, let's first off begin. We're taping this shortly before the ESPYs. Now, if you were to win your fourth ESPY as Bowler of the Year, what would that mean to you? Yeah, it'd mean mean a lot. The ESPYs are certainly a different type of, um, you know, type of award. It's it's fan based. It's fan voted. Um, so, you know, that's it's kind of uh, a, a really nice gesture from from the people that support you. That they, uh, you know, they have the time in their day to want to click a few buttons and vote for you. So, you know, that's also you know not just that, but one of the other reasons why I really enjoy the ESPYs is that it's a, it's an opportunity for bowling to kind of get on the mainstream of things. You know, to kind of rub shoulders with the uh, the big athletes and stars of the largest sports in the world. So it's nice to be recognised at such a huge event. And um, you know, when you talk to people from from all over the place, especially in the sports world, when you mention that you've been fortunate enough to win uh, win an ESPY, it's quite a big deal. So. You know, I think it's it's really great for bowling to be able to have the opportunity. Yeah. Do you have any cool ESPY stories when you went in the past to the awards? I have one uh, funny story in particular. Um, look, I'm not very well uh, informed on American um, <laughs> athletes. So when when my friends over here talk about, um, you know, certain players, it, it really doesn't matter because I don't know who they're, they're talking about. Well, one of my friends was a big um, Aaron Rodgers fan. 
And um, before going to the SP, he mentioned to me, you know, if you happen to see Aaron Rodgers, if you don't mind and it's not an issue, maybe you could get an autograph or a photo for me. So I said, um, yeah, I mean, sure. I don't, I don't know when or if that's going to be possible, but if it is, no worries. So this particular year, um, the winners of the ESPY were invited to this kind of um, backstage kind of lounge area. Um, and I had won, so I was invited, and I managed to somehow convince the, um, the security guard to let um, Bill O'Neill in with me at the same time, who was also at the ESPYs that year. So we walked back there, and I'd already told Bill that I wanted to take a photo for Aaron, of Aaron Rodgers, my friend, and he mentioned to me, he says, hey, by the way, Aaron Rodgers is standing on the other side of this room. If you wanted to go get a photo for your friend, now would probably be the best time to do it. So I asked him, who, what does he look like? And he said he's got a gray suit on and he's got a bit of a scruffy beard. You can't miss him. I'm like, okay. So I turn around. I see a group of people. I walk over to the guy with the gray suit on and the scruffy beard. Um, I reach my hand out and said, Aaron, um, my name is Jason. I'm a huge fan. And I was hoping that I could take a photo with you. And the guy replied, I'm not Aaron. Uh, I'm Aaron's brother. Aaron's over there. So you might want to go and ask him for the, uh, <laughs> for the autograph. So then I walked over like three steps and repeated everything I just said to Aaron's brother back to Aaron. You know, Aaron, I'm a huge fan. If I could please take a photo with you, it'd be really awesome. And he did. And uh, he overheard what had happened with his brother and he kind of was smiling and joking about it a little bit, but I was quite embarrassed. So when I walked back to Bill O'Neill, he said, hey, who was that guy that you took a photo with first? And I said, not Aaron Rodgers, apparently. That's his brother. And he's like, oh, he does look like him a little bit. So, you know, I can see why he got confused. So I have my photo taken with Aaron Rodgers and I'd asked Aaron Rodgers' brother also for a photo. So that's kind of a funny story. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And now it's come to find out now later that their family isn't always on the best of terms. So it's uh, quite, a, uh, quite a full circle story there, Jason. It's more embarrassing for him. <laughs> right. Um, also, you recently, this was the first year you competed in the Proprietors' Cup. Think, things didn't go your way there. But what did you think of that when you see over 250 both, both professional and amateur bowlers shooing up for such a huge prize fund like that? Yeah, well, look, you know, I, prize funds are great. We, we bowlers love to bowl in tournaments with huge prize funds. But I promise you now, what we bowlers prefer um, or we value um, even higher than that is a tournament that's run professionally, that is run with people who care about the bowlers, who are doing everything they can for the bowler. And Billy and his whole team over there at the Proprietors' Cup, from the moment I walked in, the setup, the organization, um, the respect that they have for, you know, the top-ranked players in the world and, you know, the guy who's just showing up in the tournament for the very first time ever, um, it is really reciprocated back by the players. And you can – you hear in conversation and you see that um, at the event. And I, I was extremely impressed with the whole um, tournament, the, the atmosphere, the vibe. Um, and obviously, of course, you want to involve the, the payouts. You know, that's, um, that paid out more than the U.S. Open, you know. So we're talking a major championship title um, on, the, on the PBA Tour, and the Proprietors' Cup was able to find um, $7,500 more dollars, uh, for the winner of that tournament. And, and that's just 
a testament to, to the team over there at the Proprietors' Cup who work um, religiously hard all through the year to get that sponsorship money and to, to get the 250 entries. But I promise you, we, we love the money, but, but we players uh, really appreciate when we get to work or get to um, experience a venue that has that level of, of professionalism. So, Jason, one of the books I really would in, uh, would ask any bowler who, who they're looking to improve their mental game is the latest book by Dr. Dean Hinnon's The Bowling Psychology Guide to the Mental Mastery of the Lanes. And along those same lines, you talk in that book quite in depth about looking into your mind and your thoughts. And let's kind of relate this a little bit to the Proprietors Cup. I know you mentioned the U.S. Open. The shot obviously was not as challenging as a U.S. Open type pattern, even a USBC Masters pattern, or probably even the Open Championships, which you just were in. So do you go in with the mindset at all a little bit different that you know you're going to need this to strike and even just filling frames isn't going to get it done at a tournament like that where you see some guys you know average 250 for their blocks consistently well yeah i mean the the strategy generally when you when you're bowling on easier you know easier patterns is there's there's a moment in the middle of the day in which the transition's happening and you can either play it safe or you can be aggressive and my strategy for the most part in those kind of events is to always be aggressive. Now, the downfall to being aggressive is um, if you guess wrong and you decide to really open up the lane too early, you can punish yourself at the same time. So, And that's kind of what I felt like had happened with me yeah, at this year's Proprietors Cup was um, knowing I needed to throw some big games in the middle to, to catch the field. I decided to make that change, make a big uh, a big ball change and a big part of the, the lane change. And the lane just was not ready for it and my execution needed to be absolutely perfect. And when I wasn't, I got punished, even on the easier oil pattern. So in that situation, yeah, your strategy does change because you've got to come out striking and when you haven't, if you start off 210, 210 and the field is averaging 230, 240 already, you know you need to find the games later on to, to catch up, and that means you're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive. So, um, But you know what, Billy? Every time that I, I, I bowl any tournament, though, um, I'm looking to strike every single frame that I step up on the approach. The only difference is, is do you use a bowling ball that you know your, your percentage of chances, your, your, your strike potential is higher or lower? If it's higher and you're doing something that's more difficult, then you also have to be prepared for the consequences, which can be splits, you know, which is exactly what happened to me, um, you know, in a few of the games. You make the change, you start off with a double, you miss a little bit, and you leave a few splits, and then it's downhill from there. You also talk in there, you know, re reading that, you talk about just how you go through, you know, your process when you're on TV, this is, and, and it's, you know, once you get to the stepladder, you're an autopilot. You you have a preordained routine. Talk about how important that is for bowlers to have that so that they don't get out of their element when, you know, you make a cut or you make a you make finals or, of some event, whether it be the PBA or a regional or, or the proprietor's cup for that matter. Yeah, well... The game, no matter what situation you're in, is exactly the same, right? It doesn't matter if you're in practice, if you're in a small tournament, if you're in a big tournament, you're still 60 feet away from the head pin. Um, obviously, the lane patterns change um, to a degree, but your execution is the same, right? When I let go of the bowling ball, whether it is in practice or whether it is in tournament, it doesn't change the fact, right? There's nothing different about it. 
So there's an understanding that the situation is of higher stakes. And as soon as you allow yourself to, um, I guess, embrace that situation and, and accept it, then you can go back to just doing your thing, which is like you said, putting yourself on autopilot. And that's, that's when I feel like I bowl my best is when I accept the fact that this is a high pressure situation and I acknowledge it, um, but don't run away from it, kind of embracing it and then saying, okay, let's step up on the approach, press play and let's see what happens. And Jason, before we go, I want to mention to folks, check out trackmyroll.com. This is the first and only mobile shot tracking app. It works with or without a tripod. It provides a lot of great data that we're looking for, such as ball path, lay down, break point, your average speed, your launch angle, entry angle, all sorts of great things. And coaches, if you're listening, and I know I got, got a lot of coaches who listen to these shows. Make sure you this is something you're using and implementing as part of your coaching uh, repertoire. You could say it's something that rec- it's recommended by USBC Gold Coach and International Coach and Consultant Ron Hatfield. So you know if Ron's behind this and using this for his players, it works great and it's something that is very valuable and helps you compare multiple shot graphs simultaneously. It helps you keep bowler profiles so it allows individual records to be kept for different bowlers it's a great app easy to work with i use it myself it works great it helps helps you to gain knowledge which is what we're all looking for as bowlers here so again check all that out it's on android and it's on iphone check all that out in the google play or the apple app store or you want more information you can also check out trackmyroll.com all right, Jason, a lot has been made in the last couple of weeks. You bowled the Open Championships in Las Vegas, your first time bowling that tournament. Much has been said about that by the folks at USBC, and Jeff Riggles had a great piece as well. My, my question on that is, you know, really something I hadn't heard you answer. Was the reaction that you received when you decided you're going to do this, was it what you reacted or was it different? And if different, what, in what way was it different? Yeah, it's a really good question, um, Tim, because, you know, when I signed up for the open championships the reaction of this wasn't in my it wasn't like a a preconceived idea this is exactly how i feel like it's going to go like it wasn't like um i knew this would would create a lot of waves what i thought was you know this is kind of cool for us all this is kind of cool for myself to be able to bowl the 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 open championships but it'd also be kind of cool to or for the the people that i get to bowl with but I certainly wasn't expecting um, as much, um, you know, really nice things being said uh, in the, especially on the online world, um, through social media about it. And I guess it, it turned out to be a bigger deal than I was expecting. But, you know, like the piece you mentioned on on Jeff, who wrote a, a really nice piece, and USBC did a really nice article as well. Um, you know, I think it, it kind of embodies what bowling is all about right like the pins don't care who you are the pins don't care if you're jason belmonte or if you're um again a first timer or you know a um a 160 average bowler the pins don't care who you are they don't discriminate so it's just about the experience and i think the open championships for me isn't about winning eagles um and by the way i actually have no problem with players who want to stack a team within the rules um, you know, to, to win those awards. If that means um, if that means a lot to you and you can have an opportunity to do that, then, you know, no worries. As long as it's within the rules, you're doing the right thing. Um, but for me, the winning of Eagles um, isn't a priority. I was told that 
Um, the Masters is essentially an eagle. So I have eagles already. So for me, it was just the experience of bowling the Open Championships. And, and to be able to do that with a, a random team was a really cool experience. I mean, I've been talking about it with my family back home. And, um, you know, it's, it's a really nice story to talk about. And it's something that I think has convinced me that perhaps in Syracuse next year, um, you know, I'll do the same thing. And then wherever it is there after that, if my schedule allows it, just turn up, put my name on the subboard, and let fate do the rest. So I'm sure you also then heard a lot of, about the uh, the pattern this year, and people were were saying how demanding it it was as opposed to some years past, where it was a little bit softer. Is there anything in your bowling all over the world that you can kind of compare either of those two patterns to? Um, let me think just for a second. There was a tournament that I played in Singapore. This is this is going back ten years. Um, it, it kind of felt like it a little bit where the very first game, especially of teams, the very first game, it felt, it felt impossible, right? It felt like if you weren't using urethane, there was no hold in the middle of the lane at all. And there was a massive out of bounds, um, outside of five and six. So if you had a high rev rate and you were trying to play the middle of the lane, especially, and uh, you were using uh, reactive resin, it, it felt impossible. So I went with a urethane ball trying to play around about 13, 14 to 10, and it was okay at best. Um, but then I felt like by game two, which was really a quick transition really, even though there's five on the pair, uh, 10 on the pair, five on the lane, when the transition happened, I felt like the middle of the lane really calmed out quickly, and it reminded me of this tournament I played in Singapore where game one, game two, it felt impossible. And then the rest of the tournament, it felt scorable as long as you executed, you know, really good shots. And that's kind of what happened for me at teams. I had 220 um, the second game, and then I think I started with the front seven, the, the third game, which, you know, believe me when I tell you that not every shot in that front seven was 10 back. You know, I got a couple right and hooked, and I got one or two left, and, and it held. So... That's kind of where the resemblance was. Um, but by all means, it was not easy. I would not say that the the pattern was an easy pattern. I think it just got easier as the night went on for me in the in the team. The so doubles and singles, though, was, I think, a lot easier than teams um, from the starting point. You know, you could play them further right. There was three feet more of, um, of length of oil, I'd heard, and there's a lot more volume. So your ball wasn't doing too many crazy things in the middle of the lane and you know, when I get to stand left and kind of slow wheel the lane a little bit, that's my that's my comfort zone, and that's kind of what happened and what led to you know a couple of good sets and singles and doubles. All right. Well, along with that that same kind of theme, I had Tom Clark on PBA Commissioner on a, a few weeks back, and he talked about some changes regarding the oil patterns coming up for you guys on the PBA tour. What was your initial thoughts to that conversation that he's kind of, that's kind of been out there now, and and what are your thoughts with kind of a revamping of the patterns that you guys bowl on out on the tour? Um, well, I'm all for it. You know, I think, uh, I, look, I, I like to challenge myself every single time I get out into the lane. So, um, you know, bowling on harder patterns, bowling on different patterns, bowling in places that I might not have had success in in the past doesn't frighten me. If anything, it excites me. It brings a little bit more, um, I guess, renewed energy when I step up onto the lane. And don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy you know, doing my thing every single tournament, that's fun to do because you typically are having success. 
But it's also extremely rewarding when you make a show on a short oil pattern where it's not your thing and you've had to, you know, overcome an obstacle in, in an oil pattern. So, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. I hope they go away with the names. I, I think the animal patterns now are outdated. I don't think we need names for the patterns. I think it just needs to be um, a length. Um, so, for example, if it were me, I would just call it PBA 35 feet, PBA 47 feet, PBA this, that, whatever. And, um, you know, you can create a range of different shapes within those feet lengths and um, it gives us the advantage to to tweak them if need be depending on the environment that we're bowling in. You know, like if we're trying to play a cheetah, for example, or a wolf and we're in a center in which the topography of the house isn't favorable to the edge of the lane, it allows us to say, all right, well, we'll keep the 32 feet, but let's make the middle of the lane a little a little less flat. So things things like that, it gives you the, the freedom to be able to make the change on the fly. And, um, you know, it also allows us to, to be very, very um, open with a range of different patterns. Now, if you're handcuffed to animal patterns, then you're kind of stuck, you know, with those, um, I guess, um, characteristics of each of those patterns and I just think that's well away from what we need so I'm more for changing of the patterns I'm all for challenging myself and hopefully they make them a little bit more trickier for me because it means I get to go back home work on my game some more learn some more things and get even better also want to chat with you about bowlingthismonth.com seeing lots of great new articles up there including finding the right posture a great piece also talking about the dead zone revisited and one of their more interesting and articles that more folks were commenting on and, and took a great interest to so we're going to talk about that also the very popular pwba roundtable again this year is going on so check everything out all the great ball reviews all the great equipment you're looking for again check out bowlingthismonth.com all right, Jason, final few questions I have for you. Regarding uh, Storm and some of the latest and greatest equipment coming out, I know people are very excited about the re-release of the Marvel Pearl. I know I got mine. And, and also the Code Red is another ball that people are very excited in. And I'm hearing lots of great and seeing lots of great thing on the lanes. What are you seeing and what's really been a ball that you've been going to these days when you're out there bowling? Yeah, I, I've been enjoying um, you know, some of the, our older gear, actually, just... Um well, when I say older, I say the beginning of the the beginning of the year. So, like, I'm a big Code Black fan. The Code Red um, is really, really good. I think when you need to see the ball roll in just a little bit earlier than the Code Black. Um, typically, I like to see my ball have a little bit more length just because of my rev rate. Um, so, the Code Black seems to suit my game just that little bit more. Uh, but the Marvel Pearl, oh, my goodness, what a ball. You know, I mean... It seems to be a bit of a trend through the industry. You know, Brunswick has a throwback series. I think um, Ebonite is bringing out um, Matrix again. You know, we're bringing out the Marvel Pearl. It seems like a bit of a throwback that uh, the industry wants to bring back some of their most popular releases. But if we are going to release any ball of the past, the Marvel Pearl would be the one I would want to release. I mean, I've had so much success with that bowling ball. It was really... Um, second to my high road in terms of favorite um, reactions on the lane. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting that Marble Pearl in my hands again and being able to stand a little left. And it seemed like it has just that, you know, that aura about it that the pins just were like, oh, here comes a Marble Pearl. It's probably time to fall over. 
<laughs> and also another thing, I, I sometimes I'm remiss to talk about some of the other sponsors. Ultimate Inserts is another one of your sponsors. Talk about them. They're one of the newer uh, grip folks on the grip and tape folks out on the scene here. But talk about them and and what you're seeing in their line that you're really liking as far as tape and grip. And we know people have lots of choices when it comes to that sort of the accessory side of things. Yeah. So Ultimate Grips have been a, a really awesome um, addition to my um, to my sponsorship um, team. Uh, Roger has been extremely, I mean, really accommodating to what I need from in terms of um, asking how the grips are feeling, what changes need to be made, um, and really allowing the players to have a lot of input into the product. And I think that's what makes the product so good is that it's not just the guy in a, in, a, in a factory somewhere who's putting together blueprints and then we make them and the players kind of have to just accept what they are. He's really taken on board what the players have said and what we are looking for, what kind of softness we're looking for, what shape and feel do we want on the inside of the grips. And, and you know, right now I bowl or ha- am bowling as many games as I ever have in my life. And uh, my fingers never split open. Uh, which, if you go if you go back and watch the um, 2015, I think it is tournament of champions. Um, you know, I have holes in my fingers, um, and that's just something that was I was used to. It's just it's what happened. So when I explained to Roger what, what some of the issues were, he was able to create a grip that just doesn't do that. So for me, it's a comfort level. It's a it's um, an injury thing. I don't have to worry about that anymore. So I'm extremely happy to be to be on board with that. And and while I've got your ear about sponsors, I'd love to throw in their logo and Fusion and, and Dexter. Um, and I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, Tim, but I've been wearing a pair of uh, rather bright gold Dexter shoes. Um, and that's something that the boys over there at Dexter have been really supportive with as well. You know, I asked them to – you know, let's come up with something a little crazy, a little bright, and I threw out the idea of gold, and they were more than happy to, you know, make it and and uh, allow my fans to either love them or hate them. So that's been really, really good. And my new um, deal with Logo and Fusion has been a really great start to um, to our relationship. Um, Ken Keegan and all the guys over there at uh, Logo and Fusion have been extremely supportive, and luckily for me, I've been able to wear. Um, their shirts at a few other events outside of PBA competition. So I'm really enjoying wearing their products. Well, awesome stuff, Jason. I know sometimes we're remiss when we don't bring up that sort of thing. We always focus on one or the other. So just wanted to give you that opportunity. And and thank you again for taking some time. We were kind of chatting online and it said, like, you know what? It's been quite a while. So I thought it'd be good to catch up. And Jason, as always, appreciate your time and uh, all the best of luck here coming up in the near future. Absolutely. No worries at all, mate. Thanks again.